So this fall we are seeking to understand more fully Jesus Christ. We're doing it in an odd way, I guess. We're taking a look at all of God's dealings with humanity up to Christ by looking at what are known as the covenants, God's covenants, and why they matter. You see, it's through the covenants that we find answers to the questions such as, why did Christ have to be both man and God? Why did he need to live a perfect life? Why did he have to die? And as we study these covenants, we can start to see a picture emerging. And that picture that is emerging is a picture of Jesus Christ, crucified, hanging on a cross. And each one of these covenants, sort of like a brushstroke or, or, or a line of a drawing, is starting to show us Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ on the cross is the pinnacle of God's plan of redemption. His means of bringing back humanity to a place where they can live in harmony with the Holy God. And so, over the millennia, we see that God has revealed this plan piece by piece, slowly, like unpeeling the layers of the onion to get to the core. And so, the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve before the fall said, just don't eat of that fruit. But if you do eat of that fruit, there's, there's a consequence. And we find out that sin's consequence is death. And therefore, we get the idea that in order for there to be a solution, they're going to have to deal, God is going to have to somehow provide in that way something to have has to do with death. And then after they fell, we, we find out that God is a God of grace because even though they chose to rebel against God, he said, there will be a solution. There will be an answer to this. There will be a way provided, and it will come through the seed or the offspring of the woman. And so we understand that It'll be a human that is going to bring about this solution because that is what the seed of the woman is. And then with Noah, we find out that the solution is not going to have to do with what we do, as in we could do something to undo what we've done by sinning, but that we can be right with God through faith. And so it's going to have to do with faith. And then we took a look at uh, the Abrahamic covenant. And we found out that God was going to save the world and bless the whole world through Abraham's line, through his family, which eventually, of course, would become the nation of Israel. And then last week, we took a look at the beginning of, or we started to look at the Mosaic Covenant. And we found out that 
there would be a deliverer. And this deliverer would free people from slavery, just as Moses did. And so today we're going to actually take a look very briefly. I mean, it's kind of hilarious that I'll sp probably spend five minutes on the Mosaic Covenant, what it is. Uh, maybe ten. Um, we're going to take a look at, at the covenant itself, and then we're going to start to, to understand how this too points to Christ. And so I'm going to be reading uh, from Exodus 19, and I'm going to be, um, well, that'll be our focus just to start with. So I'll be talking on the Mosaic Company, uh, Covenant Part 2, the law as a guardian. So on the first day of the Third month after the Israelites left Egypt. Remember, Moses delivered Israel from Egypt, slavery there. On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai, and after they had set out from Rephidim, they entered this desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are able to you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that he had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And, and the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said, and the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so we have the stage set for God's giving of what we know as the Mosaic Law, or the Law of God. And... It's a very comprehensive law that is given to Moses. We often think of it as the Ten Commandments, but that's just the preamble almost. The, the law actually consists of, and somebody's done the math, I can't account for its accuracy, but 613 commandments are part of the law. Um, 365 of them are don't-dos, or negative commands, and about 248 are things to do, positive ones. So it's extremely comprehensive, this giving of the law, what God expected of the people of Israel, how they were to behave. Think of it sort of like the Magna Carta or the, um, the British North America Act or you know the Canadian Constitution. It, it, it was to establish 
entirely how the nation was to live. And so, so we have in there all these different statements. I'm just going to read about 10 of them for you here. Um, of the 613. <laughs> I won't read all of them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land your God has given you. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man at, um, who slept with her and the woman must die. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from a foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Do not give any of your children to be uh, sacrificed to Molech, a pagan god. For you must not profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal is to be put to death. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be put to death. A priest not, uh, must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die. Have the Ishmaelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. With a ram, prepare a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a third of a hin of olive oil and a third of hin of wine as a drink offering. The sin offering is to be slaughtered before the Lord in the place. In, in the place the burnt offering is slaughtered. It is most holy. So there's just like sort of a sampling of all that's kind of included in this thing called the law. The law that the people of Israel had said, we will do everything that the Lord commands. Did they? they had no idea what they were saying when they said that, did they? We will do everything that the Lord commands. Well, here it is. 613 commands. It included things about authority. It set up a government. It had directions and commands around social relationships, family relationships, crime, both civil and criminal crime, social justice, business practices, religion, or, or how to worship. It had things in there about morality. It had even things in there about personal hygiene. And so we see in the law this comprehensive framework for how Israel is to live. But here's the thing about the law. It sets a standard that reflects the perfection of God. <laughs> it, it is a standard that is... only achieved by someone who's perfect. Because no one truly could fulfill honestly all of those commandments or be able to live up to its expectations. You'd have to be perfect in order to do that. But you know, it's interesting and kind of ironic that there were people who set out and actually thought that they accomplished it, that they were able to live perfectly, 
They were able to fulfill all of the commands of the law. You know who one of them was? Paul. Yeah. Saul at the time had a name change. But he said, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That's an incredible statement. He figured he had followed to the nth degree the law, that he was faultless. Now later on, when he realized what he was saying, he said, that's a bunch of rubbish. <laughs> and we know that it was rubbish because Jesus encountered another guy who thought that he had it pretty well all together. He kind of came to Jesus, and you kind of get the sense that he came to Jesus basically sort of saying, you know, basically I've crossed, I've checked off all of the boxes. You know, I'm coming to you, Jesus, just because maybe you can tell me that there's something that I haven't done to be perfect. That'd be Nicodemus. Well, that was Nicodemus. I don't know about Nicodemus. It was the rich young ruler, though. Rich young ruler. Right? The rich young ruler basically said, Jesus, what else do I have to do to enter the kingdom of God or to, you know, essentially be perfect or good enough to enter the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus started asking him some of the law. Well, have you done this? Have you done that? And the guy, yeah, check, 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 check. And then the people that were surrounding him figured out, uh-oh, it's even more difficult than we ever expected because Jesus said to the guy, you're a rich guy, go sell everything you have and come and follow me. Oh, you got to do that? You see, that wasn't one of the 16, 613 commandments, but it was implied by the 613 commandments, right? That you would love your neighbor, you would love the poor, that you would be willing to sacrifice everything, and you would be willing to follow Jesus. And so, Jesus just like revolutionized this idea of people that thought, they were faultless by following the law. They realized that it was a lot more difficult. In other words, he said, you know, you're not, you, you, have you ever murdered someone? And they would say, oh, no, I've never murdered anyone. And then Jesus would say, well, guess what? Have you ever hated someone? Well, yeah, but that's not one of the 613. Oh, actually, you're a murderer if you hate someone. Have you ever committed adultery? Oh, I'd never do that. Of course not. That's all. I've got that checked off. No adultery. And he says, well, have you ever lusted after a woman? Oh, well, boy, that's, I mean, that's none of your business, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's the degree to which you are called. And so you are a violator of the law. And so people, having encountered Jesus, even if they thought that they were amazingly capable and had achieved so much and were faultless, found out actually they weren't. So if Christ 
as God, one of the Trinity who gave the law to Israel in the first place, wanting them to know how they were to live, made a law that was impossible for anyone to fulfill. What in the world was the purpose of the law then? Just to sort of beat us up and make us feel bad about ourselves because we're incapable of fulfilling the law? Well, no. Paul wrote extensively in, on this in Romans. and Romans 3, it says this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Now, hear that, because really what he's saying is, <laughs> if you could fulfill all the requirements of the law, you could be righteous. But you can't, because you're a sinner. <laughs> and, and, and you will sin. And so therefore, no one's going to be declared righteous by fulfilling the works of the law. Rather, through the law, and this is the reason it was given, you become conscious of sin. In Romans 7, 7, he writes, I would not have known what sin has, was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Matter of fact, he went a little bit further. He says, actually, the command tempts you to break the command. We're like that, right? Well, just go back to Adam and Eve. You can eat anything here. Anything here. You can, you know, this is paradise. I've given you paradise. You just can't eat from that tree right there. Boom. There's the command. I'm going to eat that fruit. Because we are like that. And so, the law can't reverse the consequences of our sin. But it does inform us as to what the standard is that God has for righteousness or being in a right relationship with God. What's a guardian? What's a guardian? Well, a guardian is usually an adult who has been put over, is responsible for a young person who may not have a parent, let's say, in this case. You see, the young person is not old enough to sort of live alone and, and make decisions because they're just growing and they're just developing, they're just maturing. And the guardian acts as one who helps Know, helps that child know what's right and what's wrong, what you should and shouldn't do, and that sort of thing. Well, Paul uses the idea of a guardian to explain the law. He says this in Galatians 3, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under the guardian. So can you see the law as a guardian? All of these rules and regulations. But the prophets foretold of a time when the law would be not this external rule book, but it would be in our hearts. 
And that's what Jesus ushered in. And that's what you hope with a kid who has a guardian. That eventually there's no need for a guardian anymore because they become mature and able to make their own decisions. And so Paul describes the law as a guardian. And he says that once Christ came, the guardian was no longer needed. So what is it that about faith in Jesus Christ that brings to an end that guardian relationship with the law? Once again, Paul, Romans 3. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption of that came by Christ Jesus. Christ, or God, presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. You see, Jesus, being both man and God, was sinless. He was capable and did fulfill all the requirements of the law in the sense that he never violated any part of it. His purpose was to be a sacrifice of atonement. We're going to talk about this in a, in a few weeks when I get back, but he served as a sacrifice of atonement to atone or to amend or to repair the broken relationship that my sin creates with God. See, as impossible sinners, we're at odds with the holy God. And Jesus Christ came to repair that fissure, to, to bridge that crevice, if you will. He did this by taking our sin and our guilt and paying the penalty for us. We will never live perfect lives in this world. But we are clothed in his righteousness if by faith we simply put our trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross believing that it is sufficient to make us right with God. We are right with God through Christ. And so the law, 613 commandments that required nothing other than perfection in order to be right with God. If nothing else the law given to Moses, given to Israel, was to create a sense of need for a solution outside of oneself. We read in Galatians 2, I, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So, And then in Romans 7, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, 
who delivers me through Jesus Christ. That need that we have is someone who can deliver us not based on our ability to fulfill the law or to be perfect. We need someone. And so in this way, we find that even the law of Moses points to Jesus Christ on the cross. Because we are not capable of being right with God in our own, under our own power and by ourselves. And so there's this angst created. There's this, I want to do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. This law is impossible for me. I can't fulfill it, particularly when I consider what Jesus said about it. I can't do it. I hate. <laughs> I lust. I covet. I do that stuff. I'm dependent on someone external to me to bring about resolution. So what's the big idea? God's covenants, again, are given for the benefit of humanity. And the covenant given through Moses benefits the world by presenting God's standard of perfection that we can't achieve in and of ourselves. But it points to the need for someone outside ourselves to help bridge the gap, to somehow make a way. Now the next time I speak, I'll be talking about a specific piece of the law, which even points more specifically to the life, mission, and death of Jesus Christ. We'll take a look at what the Israelites were required to do if they sinned. And guess what? It, re it involved death. <laughs> we know that, right? Because God made that clear in the garden. Sin results in death. And so we'll take a look at this idea of atonement and what was required of the Israelites when they sinned, which will make even more sense of that idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for how you have patiently, over time, revealed your salvation. And it's a perfect salvation. It's totally reliable. It's the answer. It's the truth. It is all that we need to undo what was done in the garden and what will ultimately bring about the garden again when we live for eternity in paradise with you. And so, Lord Jesus, as we look at your work through time, and now as we look at your works with the people of Israel and, and how you 
slowly unpackaged how we could be made right with you. We are so grateful. It gives us confidence that as we put our lives in Jesus' hand, that it's all that we need, that Jesus is all we need. We thank you, Jesus, for coming. We thank you for your great grace. Thank you, Lord, that you lived perfectly and died for us. You're an awesome God. Amen. All right. May God richly bless each and every one of you. Have a great day.